Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Jeffrey Porterfield. Oh man, you should have been here earlier. We had a big old pile and we were all doing it up. It was a fucking party, man. That and more. But first, folks, Risk is now available on the Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Of course, it's still available wherever you get your podcast. But we're not just on the Odyssey app, which is an amazing way to access not just podcasts, but radio stations, music mixes, so much amazing content. And we're teaming up with the folks at Odyssey in all kinds of ways going forward. And we're so excited to be a part of a remarkable company and in such good company (laughs) with so many other great podcasts. So don't wait. Go get Risk and so much more on the Odyssey app. We'll be right back. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, folks, do you love monsters? <laughs> and do you like science? Since 2009, Monster Talk, the science show about monsters, has been using monsters as a springboard to talk about science. Is there a monster living in Loch Ness? Probably not. But what can science tell us about plesiosaurs, the animals some cryptozoologists think might have survived in the lake? If monsters aren't real, why do people see them? Are some monsters real? Is there a monster in my closet? Where did monsters live before closets were invented? These are the kind of hard-hitting science questions you will hear if you tune into Monster Talk. Get Monster Talk at your favorite podcast downloady place or at monstertalk.com. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.org. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Flight of the Concords behind me now, complaining that there are too many dicks on the dance floor, a circumstance I certainly never had a problem with. Now, listen, folks, last Thursday we had an episode with all women. And next Tuesday, we'll have another episode with all women, and that will be guest hosted by our very own Hope Brush, because we were thinking be good to have those two episodes for Women's History Month. But then we forgot it was Women's History Month back when we scheduled this episode with two dudes in it. So we really cocked that one up and... To be clear by cock, I mean penis. But this week's episode, it's a momentary U-turn. In an episode we're calling U-Turns. Two stories with some surprising turnarounds. One of which we're going to hear in a little bit from Jeffrey Porterfield, a musician and painter and an all-around ball of energy. But before that, a story by Shannon Kaysen, a story recorded when Risk was in Chicago last year. Now, Shannon, if you've never heard Shannon's podcast, Homemade Stories, it is so great. Here's a little bit of what that sounds like. I got a divorce less than a year ago. We were together for 14 years. It's still fresh. I'm not over it. I had a friend say, He got over Whoppers from Burger King with an abundance mentality. He said he wanted to stop eating Whoppers after work. So one day he bought 10 Whoppers and ate them all after work. He ate them till he was sick, sick of Whoppers. Then he never wanted to Whopper after work again after that. So using the same reasoning after divorce, I thought the best way to get over one woman is more women, a lot of them. So on the week of my divorce, I had an online divorce on a Thursday. So that week I went on three dates. Don't judge me. I couldn't believe that when we asked Shannon to send us a clip, he sent us that one because in the nineties, my sketch comedy group, the state was hired to be in a Burger King commercial. <laughs> the, the premise was you come into Burger King and surprise the staff at this location of Burger King is the state. Thank God they shelved the fucking thing. I don't think it exists anywhere anymore. Never made it on TV, but it was a very revealing day because it was not even a half day shoot. It was, you know, we were maybe shooting for. Uh, five hours tops, right? Four hours, maybe. 
I think I ate like 11 or 12 Whoppers that day. Like, <laughs> you learn something about addictive personality types, you know, because, uh, you know, other members of the group didn't have like 12 motherfucking Whoppers that day. And indeed, I went away that day saying I will never have a Whopper again. I was disgusted with Whoppers <laughs> and me. But since that day, I have never had another Whopper. And if you believe that, you don't know me very well because of course I have had a gazillion Whoppers since that day. Anyway, the point is, uh, you're hearing a lot of men talking about <laughs> impulse control issues on this week's episode. You just heard what Shannon Kaysen sounds like on his own podcast, Homemade Stories. And here is what he sounds like on Risk, live in Chicago. It's Shannon Kaysen with a story we call Bad Coffee. coffee at the 12-step meetings, it isn't good. It's bad coffee. I mean, I love coffee. I, I drink it black. I drink a lot of it. In the morning, I'll grind some beans. Right now, I'm drinking this one called Project X. It's like a Japanese-inspired coffee blend from Metropolis Coffee in Edgewater. It's like a toasted hazelnut and dark cherry and chocolate. I'm not a snob about it or anything, you know. <laughs> or maybe I am. They got this one called Lazy Larson. I know the owner, he gave me a bunch of, oh, it's good stuff from Ethiopia. He told me he climbed the hill in Ethiopia or something to get it, you know, it's real good. Um, they're not sponsoring or anything like that, but. Um, <laughs> I grind some beans and I brew a pot and have a couple cups in the morning. If there's some in the pot, you know, later on, I'll put some in the microwave. So I'm not, I'm not a snob about it at all. Um, even at night, if there's still some left in the pot, I'll pour some in a mug, pour in a little whiskey, get some, uh, some of this Kahlua, type stuff, is I call it Kahlua type because I get it from Audi, you know what I'm saying? It's called O'Donnell's or something like that. And I had that before bed. So I mean, I love coffee, but the coffee at the 12-step meetings, it just isn't good. But I drink the coffee from the styrofoam cup, listen to the stories. I tell my story. It's been about Three weeks since I placed my last bet, 21 days. Everyone applauds. Yeah, everyone applauds. <laughs> I think when I get to 30 days, they'll give me like a, a keychain or something. I tell the same story every time about when I stole $50,000 from my job at a grocery store bank 
I, I mean, I, I meant I wanted to put it back, but it didn't go so well at the casino, so I lost the whole fifty, and uh, and it was just a just a bad day, a very bad, day. <laughs> a very bad day. But I, I I tell the story. I don't tell the whole story every time. I just tell snippets. You know the best parts. Of course, that wasn't the last time I gambled, of course. Right now, I'm working a shitty sales job. My job is to get all my sales calls done in the day, the minimum required numbers of sales, and uh, I have to log before lunch, and then I can watch YouTube all afternoon. My manager can't see my computer from the cubicle I'm in. You know, I, I fought hard for this cubicle. Somebody was leaving the cubicle one day. I don't know, they left the job, got fired, died, I don't, I don't know, but I hurried them, put my stuff into that cubicle, and, uh, and the manager can't see my computer, so I can watch whatever I want. One time, he was coming through and he had a bag of Reese's Cups, and he startled me because he came into my cube, you know, I was watching Flat Earth uh, videos. I was just like in that hole for a little bit, just watching those videos enjoying that and and he startled me and he had a bag of Reese's cups and said hey grab a few Reese's cups you know you hit your numbers for the day so he didn't even know he was giving me refreshments for <laughs> for YouTube viewing he he had no idea for conspiracy videos um, I'm like you the best man I appreciate you I just hard work do hard work over here so it's payday I'm happy and I, the girl across from me in the cube across from me, she texts me and says, uh, where are we going for lunch today? And she's cute, you know, she's cute. And we kind of flirt back and forth. And I, I text her back the chopsticks emoji. You know, they got an emoji for chopsticks. And that means like the, uh, the China buffet. It's a China buffet not too far from where I work. Really good stuff too, always fresh, always super fresh. They take care of that buffet. Um, we don't go to the normal White Castles that we usually go to, really cheap and broke. We go to the, it's payday. The bills haven't absorbed all the bank account yet. You know, we can live like ballers today, go to the China Buffet. You know what I'm saying? So we go there and she's talking about this guy that she's dating. Like I'm her male mind to forge through. So I've been like thoroughly and officially friend-zoned, you know. The friend-zone sucks, you know. You just smile and just look at somebody beautiful in front of you and just smile and try to answer questions, you know. Like, Shannon, uh, why doesn't he like me the way that I like him? Uh, what does it mean when he tells me he's going to call me right back and then I don't hear from him for a week? And I, you're on his weekly schedule. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? I. I'm right in front of you, you know, you get what I'm saying? So, but I'm kind of distracted this time because it's payday. And I'm thinking about this extra $500 I have in my bank account after I, I say extra because after I pay all the minimums on my bills, you know, that's the extra 500. And I'm thinking about it because I had a good sales month last month and it's just extra. The drive home is a decision. There's two ways I can drive home. One is down Southfield Freeway, past all the mile roads, eight mile, 
Seven Mile, McNichols, Finko, past all the residential areas. The other way is down, like more towards downtown, down 96, and I passed the abandoned factories on the side, and I'm, I can see the taller buildings in the background. It's the way passing the casinos. I have three weeks in, 21 days. They say I can call someone when I feel like this. They gave me a number for a sponsor, but we haven't really made any connection or anything, so I, I feel like I don't really have a sponsor. They gave me some numbers to call, but I'm, probably, I'm not gonna call anybody. I hate calling people. I'm not gonna call anybody. When I pull into the parking lot at the MGM Grand Casino, there's a lot of uh, routines to follow or not follow. All these routines are really important. All decisions determine future outcomes. Last time I parked on the third floor, I lost $1,000. When I parked on the fourth floor, I lost way more than that. I'm never gonna park on the fourth floor ever again. No fourth floor parking. I parked on the second floor. I think I won like $700 when I parked on the second floor. So I park on the second floor. I take the elevator down to the casino floor. The ATM is the point of no return. You know, I'm assessing all the feelings that I'm feeling right now. The ATM is like, that call my coworker might get from that guy at like 1 a.m. that she probably shouldn't, shouldn't answer. She probably will, you know. The ATM is like that, that street you might drive down or uh, that had, you know, your favorite drug is down this street. And it might be that street you drive down. That ATM is, the, is like the ATM machine for most of our vices have to go to the ATM machine at some point. I slide in my car, withdraw 700, my daily limit. I walk the long way to the table, so I wanna see what walking the long way is gonna bring me this time. I walk past the, the entrance with the security guards and I walk past the poker room, I walk past the expensive bar, they got two bars, you know, they got more expensive one and cheaper one. And then I, uh, I find a seat at the blackjack table with an empty seat. I try to feel for the attitude of the table, the demeanor of the people sitting next to me, the speed of the dealer. If this table is gonna be nice to me today, I don't feel it, I don't feel it. I can get up from this table, drive the rest of the way home, and put the $500 towards Capital One or something like that, and go to my meeting this upcoming week, and I'll get a keychain. I feel like I can be better than this. The waitress walks over and asks me if I want a drink. I hate the coffee at the 12-step meetings, but I go back. I hate that coffee, though. It doesn't taste good. Thank you.
shame All right A lady at the casino She lost all her money She said, don't feel sorry for me No Don't feel sorry, honey But if you wanna do a lady a favor Here's what I want you to do Just loan me two dollars Until the next time I see you Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back. Well, hello, everybody. I am Jeffrey Porterfield, and I am an artist and a musician, which all plays into this whole thing. So let me tell you a story of woe, punk rock, and junk mail. 
take you to 1996. I was marooned in Richmond, Virginia. There's nothing wrong with Richmond, Virginia, but I didn't want to be there. And my day job was a real bummer. I was driving a 24-foot box truck all over the state, and I was picking up huge pallets of junk mail from banks. And I was bringing them to the post office, and every day I'd offload these 900-pound pallets of junk mail for Capital One or whatever, and I would take them over and let the post office process them. And I was slowly dying, I like inside. And the thing is, every night I'd be sitting on that loading dock watching the sunset as the post office was slowly weighing these things. And I'd just sit there reflecting on my life and what had brought me to this moment. You see, I'm from Los Angeles, California, the beach cities originally. But it wasn't my scene. Love it there. Family's still there. Anyway. I had to escape. I knew I had to escape. So I go to art school in Los Angeles. And while I'm there, I immediately learn how to play electric bass and I start playing punk rock and I'm in clubs within three months. And I, for like five years, I play around town with my band. And after a while, we weren't going anywhere because we had a lot of drug problems and whatnot. And uh, some classic stuff. And so I joined this band out of Texas and I was, because they were going on tour and I just really wanted to tour. I wanted to see the country. It was my goal all this time. All I wanted to do was see the world. So we did a brief tour. We hit a few states, played up in Canada a few dates. And then on the way back, we stopped in Brooklyn to visit some friends in Williamsburg. And it was happening in Williamsburg in 1995, man. It was awesome. Anyway, and then we all decided we hated each other. And there I was in Brooklyn. I wasn't in California. I had $30 in the whole world. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to get back to California? The answer was, I wasn't going to. So luckily, the drummer still liked me enough where he invited me to go to Richmond, Virginia, and stay on his couch till I got on my feet. So there I was in Richmond, and I met a lot of great people, but I still didn't want to be there. I was 29, and I was like, I want to hit the big town. I want to go back to Brooklyn, but I didn't have any money. So they got me this job at the courier company that led me to be driving around. So anyway, one of the people I met at the courier company was this guy named John. He was the dispatcher. We were on, in touch all day, every day, over the radio. So there I was. Every once in a while, John and I would go get a drink after work. We would have drinks, and one time he was asking me about my past, and he said, uh, you played punk rock in Los Angeles, right? Well, maybe you know a friend of mine. He, uh, he books a club in Long Beach, and uh, he goes, uh, his name's Jimmy Pulaski. Have you ever heard of him? And I said, uh, Jimmy Pulaski, you're asking me about Jimmy Pulaski? I cannot believe, yeah, let me tell you, I fucking know Jimmy Pulaski. But before I tell you the Jimmy Pulaski story, I've got to give you a little context because my first band was a wonderful, creative, heavy, Black Sabbath-y band, very angry, very grooving, but still kind of punk and everything. Everyone hated us. And the members were Tony on guitar, who's an amazing musician, just a natural talent, great painter. Anyway, then we had Red on drums, who brought the thunder and like heavy metal, double kick drum. But the problem was, his sideline gig was selling meth. So he was in and out of prison. He was like a three-time loser, and he'd leave for years at a time. We'd get fill-in drummers, but he'd come back, and we're like, please come back. And so anyway, and uh, then there was Manny, who's a singer, who was afraid of everything, including and especially probably audiences, which was kind of a downside to being the front man of a band. It was very dysfunctional. So 
At one point, in about 1992, we got invited to play the club that Jimmy Pulaski was booking. We'd never heard of him. It's a former strip club. It's in Long Beach, California, which was pretty skanky at the time still. When we arrived, Jimmy's just so super excited to see us. He's like, all right, you guys are here. This is great. I love you guys. And he's patting us on the back, and he's basically doing this whole like, and I was like, this guy is on some fucking serious shit. Like, I couldn't keep up with his positive shit, you know, his nature there. It was just, it was way over the top, but he was, he was, there was a charm in there somewhere. So we were like, oh, okay. We play our show. We get off stage at 2 a.m. We're out in the parking lot going, where's our hundred bucks you promised us? And he's like, oh, man, I don't have the money. Oh, and he's like, and he's doing this fast talking and Red, the, the jailbird from the band, is like stepping up. You know, he's not going to take that. And I, I'm like standing there going like, uh, do I hit him? I mean, I'm from the beach. I'm just a nice kid. Can't we just kind of try and negotiate, man? So Jimmy Pulaski comes up with a crazy plan where he goes, all right, I'll tell you what. If you come back in two weeks, you can play here again and I'll pay you $200. And let me tell you, okay, so I got to back up a second and just tell you what $200 or $100, 25 bucks at that time meant to us. Tony and I were roommates and we we're basically living on top ramen. And we were excited because we found a place that sold Top Ramen for 25 cents a pack. Man, we were good. And we were drinking like Night Train and we we're like, yeah, everything's all right, dollar a bottle, no problem. So 25 bucks meant a lot, plus we burned gas money coming down to Long Beach and everything. So the second night we come back, Jimmy had offered us, he was gonna pay us double. We didn't believe him, but we were like, this is probably our best option, short of beating him up. So we came back, we play a second gig, Jimmy's there the whole time. Yeah, all right, you guys are the best. I love your music, you guys have got it. It was so over the top. So 2 a.m., we're back out in the, uh, the parking lot getting ready to get our money, we thought. He's out there all excited again. And then like slowly it ebbed his excitement as it dawned on him that he didn't have the money again. And you could see it finally like play over his face like, there's four guys and me out here in the parking lot and I've lied to him twice. Then he came up with a theory that he could get an accountant down at 3 a.m. to like write us a check. We knew that wasn't gonna happen. So Red, our streetwise jailbird drummer, had a uh, wonderful idea. He said, hey Jimmy, it's clear that you fucking bought Coke with our money and you fucking snorted our money up your fucking nose, didn't you? And Jimmy's like, oh man, I would never do that. And he's getting more and more excited. Don't hit me, Red, you know, and, oh, we're friends. And so he's all worked up and tap dancing with his feet and his eyes are blinking, he's chewing on his teeth. It's just the worst thing. You've all seen it in some form, I'm sure. Anyway, so when he denied it, Red said, this is the clever part. He said, all right, fine, you didn't do it. But do you know where I could get some blow? Because I could really use some. And Jimmy went, Oh man, you should have been here earlier. We had a big old pile and we were all doing it up. It was a fucking party, man. And Red went, aha, I knew it. You fucking did our money. You fucking did our money up your nose. And Jimmy went, oh, could never have seen that coming. And so he's like, oh, don't kill me, oh. And he doesn't have any friends left. The place is empty. We're just in a parking lot in Long Beach in the scuzzball little like hookers are on the street area, you know, like there they are. So Jimmy comes up with the crazy plan part two, which is how about you guys come to my house and uh, take some of my stuff. And then when I get the money, I'll just come over and give you the money and you can give me my stuff back. And we all thought, this is a terrible idea. 
but we don't have any other ideas. So Red just took over and he goes, right, we're doing it. Manny's like, I don't think this is a good idea. And I'm going, trying to look like a team member, but I'm not really saying anything and Tony's ready. So get in the van, we follow Jimmy to his little shitty black hole and we go inside. He's got these roommates sitting on the couch in the dark. They're on drugs of some sort. They can't even talk. They're like, so we go in Jimmy's room. As soon as he flips on the lights, Tony and Red turn into like TV cops with a search warrant. They're here to like figure it out. So that, you know, Red goes straight to the cupboard. He's like a pro. He just opens it, starts rifling through the clothes and he's getting things thrown home over his arm. Tony squats down and is going through albums that are stacked up against the wall. And I'm just standing there going, oh man, I just want to play punk rock. Can we just do that? I mean, do I have to be a criminal? I mean, am I a criminal? Who am I? And what is this making me? What kind of complicit thing is this? Like, you know, Red is in and out of jail, so I'm in prison, hardcore prison. Maybe now I'm just becoming this guy. And I, and I like the guy, but I didn't want to do that. And so I was feeling kind of bad until I saw a trumpet case on the floor. And I was like, well, I do know a guy who needs a trumpet. So I picked it up and I put it under my arm and Jimmy saw me do it and he goes, oh man, if you're gonna take that, just make sure you take the time to learn how to play the music and love it as much as I do. And I'm like, Jimmy, if you just give us the money, we will give you your shit back. And he had a look on his face like, and I just knew we were not gonna ever see that money, much less Jimmy probably ever again, because we would certainly never play there again. So there we were and we're ready to go. Everyone's got arms full of shit. As we're walking out, I see a black velvet painting of the Pink Panther. I took that off the wall and went Argh. So I marched out. And as we're walking through, the roommates trying to talk to us again. And we're, and so there's a vacuum cleaner by the door. I remember Red grabs the vacuum cleaner and goes, I'm taking this too. Anyway, so we get in the van, go off into the night. And so now, I've been sitting there in this bar telling John the Dispatcher in Richmond, Virginia about this incident with his friend. And he's just staring at me like, and his jaws open and his eyeballs are blinking. And he goes, you, you were the band. You were the fucking band. You're the ones. You, you took Jimmy's shit. And I was like, yeah, new friend in a town where I hardly know anyone. And he goes, oh no, I gotta tell you what happened after that. And I said, so he goes, all right. So after that, Jimmy realized he was going nowhere with his life and everything was going wrong. So he quit doing drugs. He quit bands. He quit Los Angeles. He moved back to Virginia to live on a horse ranch with his family. And he cleaned up and he's healthier now than ever before. I go, Whoa. I'm just like, Whoa. and he goes, no, really? He thinks you guys really made a big difference in his life. And John said, you guys might've saved his life. And I went, huh, I hadn't felt good in so long. I had been so bummed out for so long, I needed some kind of victory. And I think this is gonna do, but how often do you get to get closure on weird things that happen between you and strangers. Like you impact each other's lives. You never really know what's gonna happen after that. And this one time I did. 
and I felt pretty good about it. The end. And this is Gray Spikes behind me now, which was Jeffrey Porterfield's band, the band that got Jimmy Pulaski sober. But now Jeffrey's in bands like The Rat Brigade and Dirty Cosmos, which has a new EP out. And you can find him on Instagram at Jeffrey.Porterfield. That story, which Jeffrey called a story of woe, punk rock and junk mail was edited by John LaSala. But before the break, we heard a very sweaty Johnny Taylor performing Last Two Dollars to follow Shannon Kaysen's story, Bad Coffee, which was edited by Hope Brush. Now, don't forget to look for Shannon's podcast, Shannon Kaysen's Homemade Stories, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. Folks, there's a really fun and fascinating conversation that we just uploaded to patreon.com slash risk. It's a conversation hosted by risk storyteller Wanda Wilson Bowser. Wanda is also one of our favorite community members over at the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group on Facebook. And in this recording, Wanda talks to the entire Risk audio editing team. Wanda fielded your questions. She took questions that various Risk fans wanted to ask of our audio editors, Hope Brush, John Lasala, Taj Easton, and Jeff Barr. And the conversation sounds a lot like this. Has there ever been a story or show that was hard to produce or shocked you? I know of one yeah. off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Close to home. I remember <laughs> one of the hardest bits of a story for me to edit was Taj's um, mercy killing story. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just because yeah. I am really bad with gore. <laughs> yeah. But I made yeah, it through. Yeah, yeah. I made it through. And I love the story, so it was worth it. I remember in that one, I asked Hope to edit that for me. Okay. And now I'm realizing that I've traumatized her to agree. And no, I'm- no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad at all. It just jumped out of my Immersion memory. therapy. <laughs> so become a member at patreon.com slash risk to help keep risk running. 
and get tons of bonus content like that there. Well, that's about it. Uh, Next week, it's an all-ladies episode again. We'll be wiping those dicks off the dance floor. But that is so next week. And today is the day. (laughs) Take a risk. You see... I'm from Los Angeles, California, the beach cities, originally. And uh, I was kind of a felt beach kid. I tried really hard to fit in. I, tr- I played beach volleyball. I-, I tried to surf. I was terrible. I'd seen the movie Jaws when I was 10 in the theater because I'm old enough to say that. And it nearly killed me. I still don't eat seafood because that fucking movie. And, and, and furthermore, um, uh, I-, I interacted with marine life all the time. Whales, dolphins, it's great. Uh, I was totally, I had this bleach blonde, um, um, it's hard to tell now, uh, white boy afro with sea salt would make it impenetrable, it was like rock hard, and it was kind of cool, little tight ringlets, it's leaving me now, okay, anyway, and then, um, um, cherry on top of my SoCalness is that my first concert ever was the Beach Boys in the 70s, and they were good, they were really good, man, you can't take that away from me. And sometimes, I've got to tell you a side note, we would um, take the ramen and do the noodles up, get rid of the broth, pour ragu sauce on it, and play a Frank Sinatra tape. And we would call it Italian night. I even had a red and white check tablecloth that had Corona written all over it, but anyway, we called it Italian night. And eventually the Frank Sinatra tape warped, so it sounded like he was underwater, but we still played it. It was pathetic, I admit it but we were doing the best we could with what we had. 